My favorite, my favorite is that on our, see, no one gets to see our outlines, right? And so my favorite thing is that you actually plan ahead and figure out the thing you want to say when we introduce ourselves, and I leave mine blank. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is a thing that is kind of unique about ourselves. <laughs> uh, I'm all about the planning, and you're about the improv. <laughs> I, I, I am the oven, and you are the microwave. Yep, very true. Six hours of fucking presentations yesterday than today that I've been watching, just like continuously. It's I feel like I'm there. How does it feel to be back in school? Yeah, I, I feel like I literally like I'm just like I'm taking notes. I'm like writing things down. I'm I'm like I. I, <laughs> I on the other hand have not looked at it once. It's not happening in person this year. It's uh all all digital. So it literally it feels like I've been going from from place to place. So would you say it's E4 this year? The E Electronic Entertainment Expo. What? Yeah, yeah. What? What's the extra E for? It, it's the terminology, right? Like the E, like like e learning. Yeah, like, well, like it's e already the Electronic Entertainment Expo. Yeah, Are you yeah, telling yeah, me that you want it to be I'm, the Electronic I'm, Electronic I'm using, Entertainment? I'm, I'm Expo? using the E in in a, in a sort of different term here, and like the we use the E electronically, but also like it kind of encompasses online. Oh. It's not necessarily like E, you know? We use it more of like E, like the E E3. Yeah. So it's the E E3. Yeah. Okay. So E4. It's the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh hi, my name is David Baxter and I am live from the floor at E3. And E4. Hi, I'm I'm Johnny Bartlett, and I'm that one bead of sweat that's slowly <laughs> trickling down your back until it gets dangerously close to your butt crack, but you can't reach down there because you're in public. That was so specific. <laughs> and we are the bundle bourgeoisie, Ooh. or or for those uh, those more uh, el elitist out there, the bourgeoisie, the bourgeoisie. I've. I've been called out for lying to people, but I've told words. people that we were lying about the pronunciation of it from the beginning, so. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's our own thing now. <laughs> it's our, we, we've made our own word, our own pronunciation, our own meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, we are the, the smiths of our own words. We, we've we, we are the we've gods created a distinguish, like, uh, 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 a distinction from the actual bourgeoisie and the yeah. the lowly proletariats cosplaying as the bourgeoisie, which are the bourgeoisie. Yeah. And plus, it's bougier, baby. It is. It is. So uh, we do cover games from The Humble Choice, and that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, the first game that we're going to be covering is Worms Rumble. The second game is Effie. Then we got Civilization Platinum Edition. And then we have Eichenfell. Next to last, we have Panzer Paladin. And then, last to last, we have the Milky Way Prince, the Vampire Star. Sorry, we did take a break uh, last time. It... <laughs> <laughs> 
Did we address that? <laughs> yeah, we we took the month off. I guess we didn't release any sort of acknowledgement on the podcast. If you follow our socials, you'd know. No. Uh, but we took the month off because life is overwhelming and we were overwhelmed. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, I just... We, new, new jobs, things happening, and uh, wanting to get things done. And and working on the podcast a little bit. We got some new artwork and commission yeah. and everything. That's true. We do actually have things coming on the podcast. I, I was working on things on my stream, uh, kind of making that a little bit better. But uh, mo- for the most part, I was watching just a lot of The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, I am going to out myself. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been working 12-hour days. So like, Yeah, that's true. I, I've been working at nights ten to six, so mm. cushy, cushy. <laughs> well, should we get into the meat of these worms? Yeah, let's get into the meat, the the real grime, the real. Mm. Uh, We're gonna show you how the dirt. sausage is made today. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna cut it open. We're gonna show you all 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 the giblets and bits. So uh, today. Uh, Worms Rumble, developed by, published by Team Seventeen Digital. I'm kind of coming to realize that Team Seventeen is like a little bit prolific. They made uh all of the Worms games and the Alien Breed games, as well as Lemmings and lots of other stuff. Like the Lemmings, uh, the classic Lemmings. Yeah, like the Lemmings. Oh. Yeah, like the classic Lemmings game. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think I still have that for my PSP. They're they're. they're They've been here for a while. They've been here since the 90s. Uh, but they're also a publisher, and they're a really good one at that. They published The Escapist, Panarium, Overcooked, Blasphemous, Ageless, My Time at Portia, Hell at Loose, Ukulele, Forged Battalion, Automa Chef, Golf with Your Friends, Narrate a Boy, Moving Out, Genesis Alpha 1, Neon Abyss, and Avon Colony, and even more still, a lot of those are games that we've covered in the podcast, too. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of which, we're going to be covering another one of their games, Going Under next week so that's exciting i'm so excited for that one. Oh yeah i am so excited i haven't even touched it yet but I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm it's like a cupcake that's sitting there waiting for me i'm kind of glad you uh, took that one because i would have just obsessed over it <laughs> yeah uh, i'll at least give you a couple of games to play that you'll enjoy rather than just one that you play for obsessively so the price for it is 15 dollars alone and then $41 for all of the DLC that comes on top of that. You get the, the deluxe edition with the Humble Choice, which comes with the base game and the pre-order bonus stuff and the Legends pack. Here's the thing about all of the DLC. It's just extra outfits, weapons, skins, titles, and banners for your worms. That, that's it. You're not missing out on anything if you don't get the DLC for this game. You're, you don't miss out on any critical gameplay stuff. It's just outfits and random cosmetic things. Uh, so just keep that in mind. What is the game? It is a multiplayer 2D arena combat game. Uh, it seems to be sort of going for like the lifestyle kind of genre of, of game. Similar to other battle royales that have come out recently like Fortnite uh call of duty uh stuff like that you know there, there's daily challenges to encourage playing all the time and the game is loaded with bars to level and grind mm-hmm. uh, kind of hollow progression in this game in my opinion it's a real stark departure from what fans of the worms franchise are used to traditionally it's been 
uh, a turn-based casual strategy game kind of affair. There's no turns here at all. Everything is in real time. And it really stresses like twitch reflexes and skill over careful planning and execution. So if you're that's what you're looking for, this game probably isn't for you. That being said, moving into the controls, it's super simple. Uh, you just move, jump, fire, uh, and you have like a grapple or jetpack movement ability and a grenade. That, that's it. It's super simple. It's really easy to get a handle on. Uh, but it does have a decently high skill ceiling to master, like the actual movement with the, uh, especially the movement items, the grapple and the jetpack. The weapons in the game, there are a bunch of them, but uh, some of them are kind of better than others. There is a bazooka, an assault rifle, a shotgun, a baseball bat, a hand cannon, a sheep launcher, a plasma blaster, a rocket shield, a sentry launcher, and something called a hammerhead. That's some real thorough uh, journalism there. Yeah. Thanks. I just wanted to get the names in there. Because, uh, I mean, a lot, a lot of them, you can kind of tell what they are when you hear them. It's like, oh, man, a bazooka. That, that shoots a rocket. Assault rifle. Gee whiz. What, what could that be? Some weapons like the sheep launcher, which, like, launches a sheep that sort of, like, waltzes around and then explodes is like extremely overpowered because it does a shit ton of burst damage right away. Uh, same with like the bazooka and the plasma blaster as well, which you like have to charge up and then launch a beam. When you kind of get a really good weapon in this game and you know how to use it, you can really just like dominate the competition, it seems like. Uh, it was kind of designed so that like you find an, an item and then you're like, oh, nice, I got the item that I wanted, you know? in that sort of battle royale type of thing it's weird because the game is like more popular as a deathmatch game than it is in anything else mm -hmm. there are also grenades you have like regular banana and holy grenades and they're fun to use but they're nothing special so the so the modes in this game uh there's team deathmatch deathmatch and last worm standing and a training mode four modes that's it Deathmatch gets old pretty quickly. I feel like the weapons are way more balanced for the battle royale mode, just because it's it's designed for like to make you feel like powerful with certain weapons, and certain other weapons just feel like dinky little pea shooters, like the hand cannon. These modes often devolve into like just getting like the best weapon and then steamrolling, which it isn't that much fun to me. Uh, Last Worm Standing, though, I did find to be pretty fun. I played that a little bit with Johnny on stream. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's more about, like, sticking together with your partner and just trying to, like, work together as a team to take out all the other people. It's permanent. Uh, w w when you're out, you're out, and there's, like, revives, and, uh, you know, it's the typical sort of Battle Royale fare. But in the 2D sort of Worms universe, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 ever beloved and treasured worms universe wcu it seems odd to sort of be like i'm i'm gonna become like a worms gamer i'm gonna become like a worms streamer i'm gonna play this game worms all day like it's not a bad game necessarily you know like it's fun but it's not like captivating in the way that i wish it kind of was and, and lobbies for last worm standing are never full Good luck finding a full match because apparently there are up to 30 players in the lobby and I could only ever get like maybe six or seven players at most. I think that I don't want to come back to this game 
and I'm not sure that it will succeed in this really crowded multiplayer market that it's entering uh, when there are so many other better free alternatives, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think some might enjoy sort of getting good at the game and then curb-stopping, you know, random, random pubbies and public matches, but after a while, I, I don't think that there's really anything substantial here with just the, the few game types and no single-player content or anything else outside of that. It's just kind of a grind fest until you're done with the game. Uh, it, it's not substantial enough to keep my attention. But you know what did keep my attention? Effie. Yeah. <laughs> Our next game. Oh, really? Yeah. A game. I thought uh, that you didn't like this one. I I I kind of like. So, uh, all right, let's get into this. This is a game made by Inverge Studios, <laughs> uh, and it cost nineteen ninety nine, which I was kind of shocked to see the actual price tag of this game, given that it presents itself sort of looking like an asset flip, and also there's not a lot of depth to it. Uh, but in a bundle, it's a great little grab. The the gameplay is uh, very akin to the sort of like hack and slash, you know, Darksiders, God of War genres. You know, you button mash squares, a, a light attack, triangles, a heavy attack. Uh, but it, it's not complex at all like some of those games. There's hardly a combo system. You know, there's very light combos you can do, but nothing crazy. Uh, and it's 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 more like most enemies only take like two or three hits to go down. There's some enemies that you have to do heavy attacks on to kill them, but it, it's not that crazy. Uh, it, it's all in all the 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 combat isn't crazy complex, and the exploration uh, there there's in the levels there's really nothing off the beaten path. Uh, you can find little runes to give you you know bonus XP to level up quicker. Or there's some, like, little Easter eggs and stuff hidden throughout, but but nothing, like, for the most part, you can kind of grind through these levels. There's some relics that give you, like, lore on the world and stuff, but you, you can blast through them pretty easy. Most of the relics are like, oh, it's behind that one house that looks kind of conspicuous and is very <laughs> obvious that there's a treasure chest hidden in there. So... <laughs> Not a lot of in-world e or in-level in exploration. And then the outer world... Uh, again, the outer world space—it's—it's it's massive and like beautiful, but it's pretty empty for its size. And the landmarks and places where there are things are pretty easy to identify. Uh, so it's—it's it's mostly just surfing around on your surfboard from like one point to another, and and not a lot of like, oh, there's something off in the distance that I want to explore. It's more like, oh, there's a village ten feet off the side of the road that I can clearly see where there must be something at. So. Not a not a lot in the sense of of exploration either, uh, and the combat gets the what little difficulty there is in the combat gets even easier as you get upgrades for your character later on. Uh, you eventually get like a charged heavy attack and a charged uh, light attack, uh, and both of them are AOEs, and both of them one shot pretty much everything. So you can just run around spamming your like charged attacks and kill everything as you just waltz through these areas. It's it's the the abilities definitely trivialize things, and the boss fight. I would say boss fight. There's four different times you fight the boss in this game, and it plays out pretty much the same every time. So like it's either we spawn some ads and you kill the ads that and that damages the boss, or 
you run through the environment uh, through like traps and obstacles and interact with the thing and that's what damages the boss the, there's not a lot of variety in the boss fights or anything and it's it's one it's one character it's not like oh there's 15 different things we encounter in fights it's one main villain that you fight four times so uh it 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 did though I will say, playing this game, I had a realization about what I love so much about old school games like Banjo-Kazooie in the lot, and like where a lot of the charm came from for me as a kid with them. And it's that it didn't feel like the developers thought of everything. It feels like they thought of a bunch of stuff, but in the end, there was a lot of dumb little things you could do that clearly, like, the developers weren't quite thinking of players playing the game in that way, that you could kind of, like, manipulate and exploit. It was, like, buggy, but buggy in a fun way. And and I found this game to kind of be the same way. There was, like, there was little areas of the terrain that you could tell you weren't supposed to be able to jump on, but you could jump onto it and skip parts of the level. Or, like, uh, immediately I found out a way to extend the jumping range by about twice as long as you could by doing a combo in the air. And so... <laughs> There was, there's a lot of, like, little things that it's, like, clearly the developers weren't thinking of players, like, I'm gonna try to fuck with this game, but I think being able to fuck with the game in the way developers weren't expecting it is where a lot of that charm came from me, for me as a kid. That is very true. I think that a lot of older games like that do have that sort of charm in that they, they can be broken so fundamentally. I, I think of Mario 64 as one of the classic examples and, like, how broken that game is fundamentally now, just to move around and, like, how... Uh, people have just completely taken it to the extreme now with like you know half a press uh, <laughs> nonsense like teleporting through parallel universes look that video up if you've never oh, seen you've it. shown me it it's great uh, yeah but exactly yeah. that yeah like there's a lot of charm in like outsmarting the game and i think a lot of games nowadays e even the ones that try to capture that sort of like nostalgic youth you can't outsmart because the developers do have, you know, massive teams of people thinking of answers to everything and testing every little moment of it. So it, it was kind of nice being able to relive that like, haha, I beat you game. I'm better than you. Uh, the story itself was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty milk toast, you know? Uh, it, it yeah. was, it was a good old, uh, redemption story. The, the, the lazy hero refused the call to adventure. So the witch cursed him. And then to get his, his youth back, he had to go fight the evil witch. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just describe Banjo-Kazooie? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like that is basically, it is basically Banjo-Kazooie. That's literally, that's literally like the plot of Banjo-Kazooie, <laughs> a lazy bear gets cursed by a witch and has to go on a quest in order to save his home. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much that. Uh, you know, you're fighting for your youth rather than uh, property rights, but it, it, right. it, two sides of the same <laughs> point. But it is... <laughs> a struggle for the modern era. Exactly. Uh, this one is sort of presented in, this, in the, like, meta-narrator style, though, so it's, you know, you've got the narrator talking over everything you do, and they make some cheeky comments as you go through things, which is kind of fun. Uh, but all in all, not a lot of depth in the story. Uh, you you find out in uh, oh uh, spoilers, I guess. Um, I mean, not uh, really. Is there spo a spoiler? Spoilers, spoilers for Effie. You find out I'm in the end. Spoiler warning. That that, uh, oh, is, that Effie Effie is the Effie is the child of the character you're playing, and so he okay, he used that spoilery. youth he gained to to have a child, and they named the game after the child of the the dad you're playing. So, yeah. That's, oh, well, it's is a, it? 
I mean, that's almost not even a spoiler. It's sort of like, it, hey, it's the name of the game. Yeah, it's not really. It's not. I mean, it, it, it's kind of given away pretty early too. Um, but just, just you know, it, that the ending cutscene is that. So like, it <laughs> figured maybe spoilers. But the game, all in all, is four hours long. So like, it's it, it's not it's not terribly long. It's it's a very short game. It's really easy to get through. Uh, it, it's a dad story. You know, if you, if you're a dad and you like dad stories, <laughs> it's ah, it's great for you. Yeah, he has a kid, and there that's relatable for dads. <laughs> There's a lot of competition for dad stories nowadays huh, I, on games. It's almost as if millennials are the ones who grew up playing games, and now they're having kids. Weird. 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 But decent game. I mean, I didn't hate it. Oh. It, Incredibly easy to 100%. I, I 100%ed this game in my first playthrough, basically. I, I had to look up, like, one location of a relic, and that was it. The whole playthrough took me probably about four hours, including 100% all achievements. So if you're an achievement hunter, like, this is a great one for you. Uh, otherwise, I, I think it's a great introduction to the genre for, like, little kids. So if you're a dad and you got a little kid that you want to start <laughs> getting into games, could be a good place to break them into it, like... Other okay, than that, lacks a lot of substance, but it's it's hard to complain about a game that doesn't overstay its welcome. So, I feel that when a game is short and and you can actually beat it in that amount of time, it's sort of like I can't complain that much. But then also, I did complain about Eternium or whatever it was. When games take like an entire civilization to play, it's not fucking fun. Like I don't want to be playing for fifty centuries. Well, let me tell you, I love playing. For just days, weeks, months at a time of a single game. I love putting all of my time and energy into one singular game. That's why I play Sid Meier's Civilization VI Platinum Edition. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. It's not actually why. I play on quick mode. Every <laughs> single game I play on, I play the quick mode because I don't have patience for that. This is uh, a grand strategy game developed by Firaxis Games, uh, and also apparently Asper for the Mac and Linux versions, or also the publishers for those versions. Uh, Firaxis has made all of the other Sid Meier's games, from Pirates to, uh, I don't know, probably Basketball, <laughs> and uh, the XCOM games as well. Sid Meier's NBA <laughs> Sid Meier's NBA, coming soon to a PlayStation near you. Published by 2K Games. They have done a lot of games that you've probably heard about, from Borderlands to WWE, NBA, Bioshock, Battleborn, Spec Ops The Line, The Darkness 2, Mafia, and many, many more. Uh, the price for this game is off the wall. I don't get it. It's $60 alone with no DLC. $48.30 with all of the DLC and the Anthology Edition. And then it's $78.96 for the Platinum Edition, which is what you get with the Humble Choice, which comes with everything but the New Frontier Pass, which is another $40 unless you get it for on sale for $10. Just to summarize, why? 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 I mean, I get it. But why? <laughs> no one is ever going to buy this for $60 when the, you could buy it for so much cheaper. Is it because it's on sale? It might, it might be because there's like they're having a thing right now at the PC game show where it's like you can get the, the uh, Platinum Edition for $10, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. I, that, that, that's, that's an E3 news tidbit that uh, if you hear this around the time that the podcast airs, you might want to look into. But uh, anyway, what is this game with this bizarre pricing scheme? It is a uh, virtual board game where you play as one of many different civilizations throughout history as you compete with other civilizations to have the best, most advanced military science culture or diplomatic favor. Uh, you start from the Stone Age and you build your way all through the eras, all the way to the Digital Age and beyond. It's this uh, really, really fun grand strategy game that starts in a very small scope where you're just choosing where to build your capital and and it's just figuring out the first couple of technologies like pottery and animal husbandry and, and then it builds in complexity uh the longer that you play the game uh i i would sort of compare it to like risk but you can win without your military and it's more about like the the sort of lore building and civilization building and 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 sort of it's like it's, it's like it's like a board game you know so it was described as an inverted pyramid which Basically, the way that it works is at the beginning of the game, you only have a couple of simple decisions that you need to make. Where is my capital? What am I going to send this uh, warrior to go do? What am I going to have my workers do? You know, like simple decisions. And as you start founding more cities and you have more and more troops to manage and you start interacting with other civilizations and, and more and more is sort of introduced to you as the game goes on, it is like an inverted pyramid of complexity that at the beginning it's it's you only get the tip and then and then the further that you get on the the more and it's 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 all encompassing and suddenly you know it, it's four o'clock in the morning and you have declared nuclear war against uh uh the Zulu tribe who have become like the technological uh superior like like they have mechs or something like. Like, you know, like, th that's sort of what the game ends up becoming uh, in, in its late stages. And that's something I want to say as someone who's, like, covered a lot of these kind of styles of games for the podcast and that I think Civ does so well is start such a, at such a small scale that by the time you get to the larger, more complex stuff, it doesn't feel as intimidating. Whereas a game like Imperator Rome just fucking drops you into it and like you're already making macro yeah. and micro level decisions that's really overwhelming to start 100 percent, and that's one thing that i really appreciate about this game is that it is actually very good for beginners uh, it has an incredible tutorial we can play as like either cleopatra or Gil gilgamesh in this game uh but just I, I always feel like it's been a good game to introduce uh beginners to sort of like this larger turn-based rts genre because, I, I mean, like, you're going to have to fail. You're going to fail a lot playing this game. But that's part of the fun, is, is, is failing and then going back and then applying the lessons that you've learned about building your civilization to your next playthrough. Uh, and, and trying out, like, a different civilization. Because in this game, there are so many customization options. Oh my god, it is awesome. That you there's like fifty playable civilizations when you have all of the DLC, which is the most in any uh one of these games I believe. It has eight optional game mode modifiers as well, which like really fundamentally change up the game depending on uh which one you choose. There's an apocalypse mode that makes it like just completely like apocalyptic, and and you have like a soothsayer who can like tell the future, and it's like natural disasters occur more often. 
uh, and then you have to actually stop a comet from destroying the Earth. That that's like the the end goal of that scenario. Uh, you can do barbarian clans, which make it so that the barbarians actually have more personality, and it fixes a huge complaint that I had with Civ Five actually, which was that the barbarians in that game uh, are just dumb. They're they're <laughs> they just attack you, and they don't do anything interesting. And it sort of is reductive of what we would call barbarians in real life. You know, people that came from Barbos specifically was what that barbarian refers to. And like, you know, they are actually a playable civilization in Civ Five. Okay, so I got my etymology a little bit wrong. The root word uh, for this word, barbarian, is barbaros, and it actually has its roots in the realm of geography off of the Barbary coast, home to the infamous Barbary pirates. However, barbarians were historically used by the Greeks to refer to basically any non-Greek. That is, Egyptians, Persians, Indians, Celts, Germans, Phoenicians, Etruscans, Macedonians, Carthaginians, Vikings, Goths. A lot of these people are playable characters, and it's, it's a little weird. Holy mackerel! In... Civilization VI, it makes it a lot more interesting to interact with the barbarians because uh, they have clans now and they are like a set personality type that they, they kind of had that before, but they would always attack you. And in this game, you can actually bribe them to not attack you, which would uh, make it more likely for them to become a city-state later on in the game. Okay. Or you can uh hire them you could basically like hire barbarians to become warriors and you get like free warriors and free units from from them and that also makes them become a city state faster and then the final thing that you can do is pay them to go to war with another civilization so if you have a barbarian clan that you're in contact with that's like on the other side of the world and they're like you know right next to an enemy civilization that you're not friends with you can pay them to attack the other civilization with like all of their troops. You can pay radical militias across the world to violently disrupt and try to overthrow governments not related to yours? Yeah, it's kind of wild, right? They're in it for the money. Dang! <laughs> that's that's such an interesting facet of economics that I don't think has really been explored. <laughs> So, uh, I think that this game is really making strides in uh, kind of becoming a more realistic interpretation of what it would be like to go from, you know, prehistory to modern day, even though it does make a lot of concessions to, you know, be a game. <laughs> it, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, the next mode, I guess I was going through the modes, that's right, uh, is Dramatic Ages. So, Dramatic Ages makes it so that uh, af after the beginning of the game, you're either in a Dark Age or a Golden Age. It's one or the other. And so, you're always competing to try to be in the Golden Age. Otherwise, you have to deal with, like, a lot of disasters and horrible things happening in, like, your Dark Age, which that fundamentally changes up the game. Uh, Heroes and Legends adds just, like, these random, literally, heroes and legends that you can uh, find throughout the game that are, like, special units. You have to recruit them by uh, meeting some requirements and then uh, commissioning a, a town to like make uh, something for them and then that, that like brings them to your civilization. Uh, and one of them that I got in my game, for example, was this dude who could walk around and he could just eat up luxury resources and then he advances your scientific progress doing that. Yeah. So what, what I would do 
yeah, I would just send him over to like other people's civilizations, and like right as they were expanding to a new area, I'd be like, yoink my rice, yoink my spice, yoink my tea, <laughs> and uh, I got a bunch of scientific progress and like advanced really far into the game doing that. Uh, because of that, I feel like it's a little bit overpowered potentially. It kind of breaks the balance of the game a little bit, uh, but the, of course the other civilizations, and if you're playing with other players, other players can also get access to these heroes, so it adds an extra thing to sort of fight over. I think it'd be really fun in multiplayer. Um, Monopolies and corporations I didn't really get to play with, but I, it's really recommended. Uh, that's sort of a late game thing. Secret Societies was interesting. It adds this sort of uh, mystical element where you can appoint an advisor to like you, you get like governors that you can appoint to cities at, at a certain point in the game and uh, you can choose to appoint one of these secret society members to your government and if you do that then you get you lose access to all the other societies and then you suddenly gain access to like a fundamental new game-changing thing uh for one of the clans it's like access to ley lines you can like build things near and it increases productivity and no one else can see them but people that are a part of that secret society that also interacts with like other secret societies later in the game like if another player uh, is a part of like the void whispers and you're a part of like the the alchemist society then, then like they have a relationship and like they have sort of commitments to each other that that's sort of like it, it becomes more of a factor late game from what i understand uh which that's super cool but it does sort of break the realism of the game a little bit uh tech and civilization or sorry civic shuffle is really really nice too i i, I think i'm probably just going to keep that on all the time just because I, I like the randomness element and there's also zombie defense which i haven't tried but from what i've heard sounds like it's basically like barbarians always attacking you the game mm -hmm. <laughs> so if that sounds interesting to you then go ahead and try it but the cool thing is, is that you can enable literally one of those game types or all of them at once or none of them. It, it's really up to you. And they each one of one of them adds a lot of variability and unpredictability to repeat playthroughs. And it's so fun exploring like all the different options that they provide. Uh, even though some of them I might only do once, like the Apocalypse and Zombie Defense one uh, and then never again. It's still <laughs> fun to have them as options. Some of them kind of break the game balance, but others are like, I'm always going to have those on. Like Barbarian Clans and Tech and Civic Shuffle, I'm probably never going to not use those whenever I do a new game now. There are scenarios here. Uh, there aren't as many as there were in Civ Five, but I also feel like I was the only one that did them in Civ Five. <laughs> uh, there, there was like, there's like the Conquest of Alexander, Gifts of the Nile, Outback Tycoon, the Black Death. You know, it, it, it's it's sort of like you you get to go into like these sort of pre-built uh situations then you sort of have to try to win uh according to you know what's already been set up for you uh there is also a world builder and a map editor and workshop and mod modding support for this game so there's even more options available outside of the game to those who wish to seek them out uh yeah just so so much cool stuff about this game there is some new stuff in this game that if you maybe played civ 5 you might not know about districts are a new addition in this game that are a big deal They're, you basically like convert a land tile into a location that can be used to place more advanced buildings like libraries uh and their effects can be multiplied after you get multiple districts near each other and each district is attached to a certain resource like gold or science gathering storm has a lot of really cool new things uh that make the world feel a lot more reactive to what you're doing 
Uh, it adds natural disasters and climate change stuff that affects early and late game decisions. Uh, disasters usually have like a really bad negative effect in the short term, but provide uh, improved thing like tiles in the late game. Uh, for example, after a flood, the area will become like more rich and and more abundant with food. Uh, and volcanoes, for example, are a thing in this now, and they are super high risk, high reward locations that like have incre incredibly nice like volcanic ash tiles, but also you run the risk of like having your entire town catch on fire every other weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, I really, really like these additions. Uh, and apparently all you need is Gathering Storm because it includes all of the stuff in the previous expansion, Rise and Fall, which adds a lot of like diplomatic stuff, which is really interesting. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you have to worry about, like material fuel and like late game power consumption uh where like if you have to worry about like where you're getting your energy from is it like coal and like how much impact are you having on the environment uh if you have uh settlements that are located on the coast then you have to worry about like late game sea level rising and like potentially losing your entire capital or something like that uh of course you can build like blast walls and stuff to sort of defend against it but it just adds more things you sort of have to plan and consider as you're going along mm -hmm. the game and the environment feels more alive than it ever has in any previous game uh there are these like world congress meetings with the diplomacy features where you can like request aid from emergencies and stuff like that so if you get hit by like a hurricane or something like that then you can request the world congress for aid and get like a bunch of money and resources and supplies to sort of fix everything uh as long as you have good diplomatic favor and you sort of been helping other people out throughout the game so it sort of reacts to you know your actions throughout the game and and i like games that that are that are that in-depth with how it sort of treats the player as a an active entity throughout the world. Uh, but anyway, I this, this game is awesome. I mean, apparently there are, like, literal rock bands that you can get later on as, like, a tile improvement and, like, mechs that you can do and... And and just the fact that, that you can have, like, one civilization that, that that's still in, like, the Stone Age, practically, and, like, another civilization that, that's, like, you know, got lasers and stuff, and, and that's sort of all going on in the same game uh, is really, really impressive, and I love it so much. I, Civ Five was my very first game on Steam. Very first. I didn't actually own any other game before that, uh, so maybe I'm a little bit biased here, <laughs> but I truly believe that you can play this game for, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. And still have fun throwing down, cooperating with a friend. It has some negative reviews on some of the expansions, and I kind of get it because it's just sort of like, oh, it's like one new thing here or there. But like, if you can get it all on a good sale, which is what I usually do, I didn't buy this game until now. I wait until all of the DLC comes out, and then I get with all the DLC all in one. That's the best way to go about it. Because mm -hmm. every new Civilization game is usually a bit of a downgrade compared to the last one with all the DLC. But now that Civ Six has all of its DLC out, and it's it, and it's ready to go. I feel like it's a it's a really fun experience to dive into right now. There's never never been a better time. This is a great price to pick it up for how many hours of fun you will have playing this game. Uh, just just so much fun. I I'm 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 gonna interrupt your segue here. I I have a I yeah? have a thing oh. for you. I have a thing. You're I, interrupting. I don't I don't have I don't have an introduction to this bit yet, David. I don't have an introduction. Uh, but but I'm calling it I'm 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 calling it uh 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 I didn't even think of a name for it oh fuck uh, uh, uh a currently untitled segment <laughs> for this podcast um 
currently untitled segment for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did I did a lot of achievement getting this this uh this week. So uh I I'm going to give you the name of an achievement and I want you to tell me what game it's from and what you have to do to get this achievement. Okay. I don't think I'll know, but let's see. Uh the first one I've got for you is Baby Skin. Is that like Binding of Isaac? Do you have to like skin oh, a baby? Oh no, no, no! This is this is from from this week's bundle for now. It's just to narrow okay. your ch- narrow your chances down. Um, is it Panzer Paladin? It is not. Uh, is it Eichenfell? No. Oh fuck! Is it <laughs> um uh? Milky Way Prince. This is this is an achievement from Milky Way Prince. <laughs> okay, why are you bringing this up now? <laughs> this now, is a random now, time. Now, to do bring you this do up. you do you know what you have to do to get this achievement, David? No. You want to take a guess? Just what just just what, just a guess. Just give me give me your best thought of what you have to do to get baby's skin. Do you have to put on the moisturizer? Ooh, final answer. Yes. Close. It is to shave and see what happens. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like it. So is this going to be a recurring segment? Oh, this will absolutely be a recurring segment. I I, I wanted to introduce it. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love it. I like that segment. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some achievements for you next time as well. <laughs> uh. Uh, that's, but that's our next sneaky. game is Eichenfell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I thought you were gonna give me an Eichenfell achievement. Which oh is no, why no, I was no! This was just a that. completely separate segment from from everything. This was just just a fun little one off to do, you know. <laughs> oh man, you you just you just side you just sidewind me, you sidetracked me. <laughs> uh, Eichenfell is a game from Happy Ray Games, published by Humble Games. I'm not going to list all the games Humble Games publishes every time they come up, because they're going to come up a lot, so. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, the developer that, like, is associated with the bundle, so, you know, they're yeah. gonna be here. Good, 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 like, probably five out of every ten games is published by them. Yeah. Uh, this game costs $19.99, full price, normally outside of the bundle. And it is a phenomenal game, just to just to rip right out the bat here. The combat in the game is is fantastic. It's very much in the vein of Paper Mario, in that sense that it's like it is a a turn based uh game where you have like action buttons you have to press at the right time to to execute your attacks properly. Uh, it, it's very straightforward of like when your attack is landing or when their attack is landing, you press A, uh, and if your timing is right, you reduce the damage or increase your damage. And uh, it's it's really good. I mean, I, I really like adding the sort of like timing and reflex element to turn-based combat because turn-based combat is pretty milk toast without it. That's our word of the day. Uh, and milk toast. <laughs> milk toast. Write it down. We're gonna we're gonna cut in uh, Joey B's face every time we say milk toast in this podcast on the YouTube milk edit. Toast. <laughs> we well, gotta say it a lot more, just to make you do a lot more work, right? Uh, and it, but it, it does feel a bit unfair at times in this game. Uh, the difference between a failure and a success is usually the difference of like dealing one damage versus twenty or taking one damage versus twenty. 
So like it is it is very crucial that you get your timing right. Even the so there's the there's failure, good and great. Uh, the goods and the greats are even pretty far off. It's like seven versus twenty usually, like at in game. So it, it's it, it's a real stark difference of like getting it successful versus failing it, and it can get a bit repetitive uh, because like it, it's it's just timing, especially like when you've got the attack patterns down and everything. Uh, it's really just pushing the button at the right time. And if you zone out for like even one attack, it can it can mean the difference of restarting the entire boss fight because you're you're taking twenty damage instead of one. So uh, you you really have to stay focused in on the fights, which can can be a bit of a drag. I I found the progression throughout the whole game was really well handled, though. Uh, the the exploration and everything was uh, pretty well laid out, and where you had to go and everything. You you got hints of where you'd go later as you were running through the areas. And they had a fast travel system so you could get around things easier. There's tons of variety in the builds that you can do and the gear that you get. There's three primary stats, power, defense, and speed. And each piece of gear reflects those stats in battle differently. Uh, it's it, it gives you some room to sort of explore and play around with. But also, I found myself just mostly doing power builds because power was making the biggest difference in combat. Like, it it was the difference of, like, power was letting me hit for 7 extra damage, whereas 4 points in defense reduced their attack by 1. Like. Oh, yeah, that's not a good stat breakdown. Yeah. more damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so, that, that's like, it's like Pokemon, where it's like, all of my Pokemon will have damaging abilities <laughs> instead of stat-based abilities, because it's the only effective tactic. Exactly. Like, if things are dead, you don't have to worry about defending for as long, so, like. Speed also made right. kind of a difference, but in the long run, I just figured I'd rather build around power. Uh, but still a lot of variety if you if you want to go that way. There's optional in-game bosses at the end, which is kind of nice, too. Uh, I, I wasn't really expecting that kind of inclusion from, from a game like this. I was expecting it to be very much just like a linear story, but there are three optional bosses, I believe, is what it come at, comes down to. Uh, and you have to unlock them by doing special things. So uh, that that's pretty cool that that's included in there. And and combat, your your combat is structured around the timing and also each character has uh, abilities. As you go through the game, you start with like two and you get five by the end of it per character. You get three characters in battle and it's very placement focused too. So each ability did like a line of damage or a T of damage or a cross of damage. And so your character's placement and the enemy's placement played a big role in sort of like the overall strategy of battle, which was which was really nice. I, I felt like there was a lot going in on the combat that like made it interesting and engaging and wasn't just like, we're playing Pokemon. <laughs> I I'm glad to hear that. I did play this game for a demo and I don't think it gave it a very like fair chance. I was a little bit... I was a little bit mean to it. I feel like uh, <laughs> I, I, I might have ragged on like the art style a little bit, just because it was a little bit simpler. But it is it is kind of interesting know. though, seeing like the perspective of you playing it versus me playing it. Because <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I also only played the demo, and like I'm yeah. sure that the full story is probably a lot better. Yeah, the full story. We'll we'll get into that right now. Is phenomenal. I mean, I I say phenomenal, but I I use phenomenal in a sense of like. It was it was really good, but also kind of plain. Um, uh, the writing was a little bit cheesy at times, but still, like, it conveyed the messages overall really well. 
it's a it's a very traditional coming of age story you play as the younger sister the sort of like black sheep of the family you know you don't have any of the magical powers you're just the ordinary your sister went to magic school and everything uh but in the end you i mean not even in the end in the beginning you you get magic powers and you're the one who gets to save your sister this time so it's very much that sort of like living in your sibling's shadow how do you break out of that Uh, I, i think a lot of the themes are very good in that sense and the game is like radically inclusive fucking it's so amazing there's so much beautiful representation in this game there are like there are gay characters there are queer Mm. characters there's non-binary characters like there there's a character that uses neo pronouns uh zago by zim z and it just like all of it is completely normalized it's not like it's not like these are talking points about the characters it's just the character is gay and like that is that is them it's not their whole personality they're just they're just gay and this one just happens to be non-binary and it's such good inclusion and it does it in a way that doesn't feel like it's like trying to make a point out of it it is just like it's just representation of of lgbtq plus people getting to be lgbtq plus in like a real world it's so great i i fucking absolutely loved the the inclusion in this um like like minor spoilers like you find out you not even until like two-thirds away through the game that like the main character the character that you've been playing this whole time is gay and you end up in in Mm. a, a a fucking uh a relationship with one of the other female characters in the game like super good and it's like it's not a big deal it's not like it's just beautiful representation and i really fucking enjoyed it i it it was like it it felt like such a beautiful take on youth magic especially since like so much of the conversation of this style and everything is co-opted by fucking turfs right now and it it was it was so good to pull away from that kind of discussion about it and just have the, the, this world and fucking school of magic and kids growing up in it that were just like inclusive and and fucking amazing amazing beautiful you know, representation. We, 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 we can we can we can say it how would you compare this to harry potter fucking 50 times better 50 times better like it it doesn't have the same universe that harry potter has fleshed out over the course of like 15 books but like there is no underlying anti-Semitism. Like, there's fucking beautiful representation for all groups of people. It's inclusive. It's great. It handles really serious topics really well. Like, I... I fucking... Miles better than Harry Potter. Miles better. This game deserves... Instead of continuing to talk about fucking Harry Potter and and J.K. Rowling and all that shit, we should just stop Mm -hmm. talking about that and start talking about this game. (laughs) Because it's so good. It seems really cool. Um, I yeah. And there's a character that has shares my name. Yeah, and there's a Bax in there. There's a Bax. There's a Bax. There's a little Bax. Um, and it. And not not only is is the the you know LGBTQ plus representation great, it also has incredible like mental health representation and conversations too. Like there is a character with really bad anxiety, and there there's conversations of, and, and and a character with PTSD and dealing with those symptoms. And like there are talks about depression, and there's talks about grief and loss, and like it, consent and how to handle your emotions and stuff. There's so many like really good talking points that are just layered in this game and all of it just feels 
normalized, which is beautiful. Like it, it, none of it becomes like huge problems. None of it becomes like obstacles that like, oh, this whole game is about one character conquering their anxiety. It's like, nah, this character just has anxiety and we're all working our best to make them feel included. And like, how do we make the world work for this person with anxiety? And like, it, it's so good. It's, it's fucking beautiful. There's, there's a moment that I, I have to talk about because like, I found it such a profound representation in, in sort of these topics and things. Uh, and it's mm. one of the care. It might be a bit of a spoiler, so a real small spoiler. Skip ahead like twenty seconds. I don't think we need to mark the whole section. Uh, one of the okay. characters has PTSD, uh, and they were they were in this sort of like liminal space in between the world where it's like full of like shadow monsters and stuff. And they got uh, they got attacked. That's what caused their PTSD about this place. And when you revisit the place, the character has a panic attack as a result of this. Like they start mm. freaking out. They can't control themselves. And and your character, like you, you are all trying to get out before you get attacked by this thing. And they, you know, they sit down and they're having a panic attack, freaking out. And your character is like, well, we have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. And you go over to grab them to get them out. And in the process, the character screams, don't don't touch me. You know, because they're they're freaking out right now. But your character grabs them and pulls them out of the, the area anyways. And the next moment, your character walks up to them and apologizes. And it, like, it's so fucking profound to me. And this idea and this whole, like, cultural shift of, like, taking accountability and, and, and things like that, that. That your character apologizes to this character because you violated their consent. Like, you, they told mm. you not to touch them. And you walk up and you're like, I am so sorry I touched you. Like, you asked me not to, but I felt like we were in danger and I had to do something. I had to get you out of there. I'm really sorry that I touched you. And it, like, it, mm. it's this fucking really beautiful moment of just, like, you don't blame the other character for breaking down. It's not their fault that they were having a hard time. It is it is your fault for doing what they asked you not to do still, even though you were looking out for them. Like, it's it's such a good moment. I like that. There need to be more games that are like that that provide those sort of small moments and those little messages because like uh, it, it's kind of like uh, it's small but it's important. It, it it's really important and like it it's it's stuck with me. Like it, it's such a small moment in the game. Like it, it not even not even two full cutscenes really. Like probably twelve mm -hmm. boxes of dialogue, and that moment probably stuck with me more than everything else in this game, just because of how profound and impactful. I love that. Yeah, yeah, really, really good game. Talks about things really well. Does it in such a good way that like you can learn from it. It's it's smart. It's not like it's not overwhelming or 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 making it the center of the focus or anything. I, be beautiful, beautiful game. I was just gonna say, how's the gameplay? gameplay is <laughs> all right so we're gonna get into that a little bit um gameplay was good i was enjoying it you know the combat was engaging and everything uh but uh, on that subject it's got some really good accessibility options for combat uh going on like the very specific timing for for combat and everything there's a setting you can turn on that makes all of your reactions automatically great so you don't have to push the button for the timing uh, which is fantastic if you zone out during combat and can't keep focus or if like you have bad reflexes or or uh, some, you know, in, uh, a reason why you can't push the buttons quick enough or something. It, it's great. It, it turns it into like almost autonomous. All you have to do is select your attacks. Uh, and also there's a button you can enable to just enable instant victory. So like it just becomes another combat oh. prompt that you can push a button and it kills all the enemies and gives you the XP. Like so just skip the fight altogether. Uh, which which is another like great if if I I found myself by by the end of it 
I was getting bored of the combat. I, I was zoning out and checking out and not like really having fun fighting. Uh, but I was still really invested in the story and wanted to see the end. So I I just enabled all of the, the combat options, skipped through the fights, and like just got to enjoy the rest of the story. Something that I would not have done if if I could not have enabled those options. I, I would have probably stopped uh, about chapter 8, but I, I was able hmm. to get through the rest of it because they had those options. And like by the time I had gotten bored of it, they had a way to skip past the parts that I was bored of. That's interesting because that, that sort of plays into a whole accessibility argument that is really big in the industry right now where a lot of games are coming out nowadays where they don't have necessarily like options for people to play them in like an easy mode mm -hmm. or in like a, a more story-based format rather than focusing on like the, the skill of it, you know, like. Yeah, and this this seems like a game that that you can enjoy regardless of your skill level. Absolutely, and I I really enjoyed that about it is that like that I I got to a point where I I wasn't enjoying it and I could still enjoy it because they had the right settings in place and had thought of it. Uh, and and there's a lot of really great puzzles too that I was I was still actively enjoying the puzzles. I just like fighting mm. you know four things of combat in between puzzles was kind of a drag. So like I got to do the part that I still enjoyed the puzzles without having to worry about the combat that I wasn't enjoying at that point. Oh, I now I wish more RPGs would have that feature. <laughs> grinding is the most thankless job in the world. And that's that's kind of the nice part about the instant victory too is it still gave you XP. So like if you wanted to do the boss fights still, you could skip the grinding, just get the XP from the mobs for free, and then still do the challenge of the boss fights if you wanted to do that. Mm, that's nice. And that's really nice. A step further, using these options didn't disable achievements. I could instant victory a boss and still get the, the achievement for it. That's cool. So, What's up, baby? <laughs> on that note, it was another fairly easy game to 100%. Uh, I think there were only like four, maybe five achievements outside of the main game stuff. And that was to like collect the hidden collectibles, which most of them were very apparent. They're like sparkly little gems that, that show up as you're walking around. Pretty apparent. Most of them weren't off the beaten path. Uh, and and to de do the optional bosses. So like real easy game to 100% too. Uh, I would absolutely recommend this game. Not it, it, This is... This is the kind of art that like we should be supporting as a society. Like it it if you're if you like Harry Potter but don't like the anti-semitic turf shit like uh, this will absolutely fill a lot of that void. And like it, it's such a refreshing and inclusive take on real world issues. It feels validating, it's fun. It 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 resonates with you in a lot of like topics and stuff. It it's really good. It's it's It'll so scratch that Harry Potter itch. Yeah, this is this is this is the kind of shit that like the charity this month is like doing, which is <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I I think representation is is beautiful and important, and like this game does it so fucking well. Uh, I will ask: Are there any android girls in this game? Um, there's a slime girl. Uh, there's a lot of like demons. Mm. Um, there's De yeah demons. There's, okay, there's sort of a prince of darkness. Um, mm. uh, that's sim that's similar to our next game. I I can't think of any mech girls. No, I don't. I don't think there's any android girls at all. Oh. No, no, well, that's unfortunate. 
Our next game has some mech girls for you, though. Panzer Paladin, developed and published by Tribute Games. Uh, they have also developed and published Flinthook, Wizorb, Mercenary Kings, Ninja, Senki, DX, and Curses and Chaos. Uh, the only one that I really know from there is Wizorb and Mercenary Kings. Mercenary Kings is sort of like, from what I understand, like multiplayer um, Metal Slug? I feel like I've played Mercenary Kings. You probably have. You, I, I was given Mercenary Kings recently by a viewer, so I'll probably play it at some point. Oh screen. no, 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 no! That's Fubar gave me this, but I have not played it. Yeah, we're, we'll we'll play it at some point. The price of this game is twenty dollars, and the only other DLC are these two little optional uh, OSTs: the eight-bit version and the regular version. Uh, also, it has a free challenge DLC uh, that is just available right off the bat. So what is it? It is a uh, 8-bit inspired retro throwback action platformer. It's similar to Mega Man in its structure, in that it has this like an introductory level to sort of introduce you to the mechanics and everything, and then it lets you tackle every other boss in any order that you want. Uh, you can play as this giant mech, and you have the ability to use tons of these disposable weapons and uh, a shield to mow down enemies. The weapons are, are similar to sort of like Breath of the Wild in that like they all have a durability and, uh, you know, you're always kind of cycling through more new uh, weapons. Almost every enemy will drop a weapon that you can collect and weapons are used for your regular attack. However, they can also be broken to cast a spell or thrown to do range damage, though throwing does break the weapon. You can save up weapons uh, if you say like fail a bunch of like level a bunch of times. You can save all your weapons from your multiple playthroughs and you can take them to the laboratory and you can actually convert it to health, making your failed runs sort of count towards some permanent progress to make it a little bit easier for you to beat in the future. Uh, which I think that's an interesting mechanic, but it does it, it, it does still make... Like, this is an NES hard style game. There, there's lives in it and, and like if you don't make it to the end of the stage, you just got to start the stage over, you know? It, it it it's you gotta learn the levels you gotta get good and you gotta <laughs> fi figure out a game plan before you can sort of tackle each stage you can't actually hop out of the mech at any time you have this like little whip that you can use uh both for navigation and as a little attack uh the android is named flame and she works as a squire to pilot a paladin she sort of reminds me a little bit uh, I, I don't know, just of Asuka from Evangelion. She kind of gives me that vibe. There are, like I mentioned earlier, two different OSTs that you can choose from in the game, but there's also uh, these options to change the display, either from like a perfect pixel display, where every pixel is displayed in like perfect resolution on the screen, or there's also a mimic CRT mode and a CRT with a curve. I liked with the curve because... It, it was really nostalgic to how I used to play uh, a lot of these older games on, like, a traditional CRT. Uh, and it does look pretty good. I like it a lot. Uh, it, it honestly is a little bit of a... It's hard to look at with the perfect pixel mode because mm -hmm. the CRT kind of blends the colors together nicely. Gameplay-wise, you have an attack button with an upwards jump special, sort of like in Smash Brothers, where it's sort of like a, an extra little height jump. And a down air that's sort of like the shovel from Shovel Knight, where you can sort of use it to bounce along enemies, but it's not too much of a jump. Uh, you have the jump button, 
you have a throw button, you have a backdash, and your shield only covers half of your body, so crouching is a thing that you can do to block low attacks. Uh, you switch your active weapons with the bumpers, and then you can hold left and right trigger to break your weapon to cast a spell like I mentioned earlier. The spells can be anything like a beam to like a support spell, uh, like healing gives you a little bit of health back, or buffs like uh, deflect and absorb, which uh, can deflect, you know, abilities or absorb uh, attacks and I think that's actually you you absorb. I don't know what that is. You absorb the attack that you do to an enemy, and you get health from it, or you absorb attacks that come to you. I don't know. I'll I'll I'll, I'll figure that out later. Maybe I won't. I counted eleven levels in the story mode with a remixed version in the campaign. The Steam version weirdly says that there are 17 levels, and I don't know where those levels are. Maybe they come later? <laughs> I'm a little bit confused about that. Uh, but the levels that are available are as follows. You have the Horseman, which is sort of like the introductory level. Uh, that's in Canada, and he actually helps you out throughout the game. He like shows up at random points throughout the game later. Uh, then you have Lilith in the USA, who is a succubus. Uh, you have Mictlantec Cooley that you have to defeat in Mexico, who is the Lord of the Land of the Dead. You have uh, Dujanos from Scotland, who's a giant dragon. Uh, Boeweg from Switzerland, who's based on the Boogeyman. Uh, and they have like this tradition in Switzerland, apparently, of burning the Bogue where you do that to to drive out the winter and herald in the spring so this guy is sort of like a big yeti snow person then there's medusa from greece you know medusa snake hair baba yaga russia uh you, this is the like ferocious supernatural woman from slavic folklore uh, and also john wick uh you have anubis from egypt the god of the dead mummification embalming the afterlifes uh, cemeteries, tombs, and the underworld. I didn't realize how many things they were the god of until I looked it up. Uh, Popo Bawa from Tanzania is another boss uh, who is an evil bat-winged spirit. Nian from China is another boss. Uh, who are, They are like a lion who's a key character in the Chinese New Year. It's okay. the reason behind a bunch of practices during like the celebration, such as like wearing red clothes and celebrating with like noise from drums and fireworks and uh finally there is the gasha dokudo from japan that are giant skeletons that are said to be 15 times larger than the average person and are created from the amassed bones of people who died from starvation in battle without being buried the point that i'm trying to make about reading all of that out is that like all of the demons that you're fighting in this game that are like the main bosses and also like the sort of backdrop for all of these different levels are all based on like real world folklore and real world history and legends and i think that's really cool that it, is. it adds uh an element of authenticity a little bit to the bosses and, and it, it makes it very memorable uh and like i i i now know the name of the popobawa and <laughs> i i i i i feel kind of happy about that you know um i think it's a really really cool uh theming for all of the different bosses and it's a lot of different variety in terms of the different stages that you get to go to um one thing that i should mention is that the game uh in its sort of like 8-bitness has like a limited color palette 
And so each stage looks like super colorful and vibrant, though it has like a limited color palette. Uh, for example, Egypt has these like floating pyramids at the beginning of the stage and it's like super futuristic, but it also has these like deep purples and pinks and blues and oranges all over the level. And it's like you would normally think of Egypt as like a like plain yellow desert, but it's like this beautiful mix of colors. And I think that it's a kind of plays into this sort of limited uh, aspect of the, the retro throwback. Mm -hmm. um, there are other modes available in the game uh, besides the story mode with all the different bosses and levels. Uh, there is a blacksmith mode where you can make your own weapons. And I did make a weapon, but I truly could not figure out how to use it in the game. I do not know. <laughs> I I tried and I couldn't figure it out. Uh, I noticed that after I died randomly, like the boss from the tutorial level, the horseman showed up and he gave me an item that I'm pretty sure now actually came from the Steam Workshop. Uh, so I used that item on the boss, Anubis, and it was the only reason why I beat it. Uh, thank you, walkies. It was like a dog on a leash, <laughs> and, I, and it, it attacks really quickly. Uh, but I also got, like, Isaac from Binding of Isaac, uh, which apparently his, the, the little boy's skull is a blunt object. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I also couldn't really figure out how to upload, like, my creation to the workshop. Uh, not that I'd want to, because it was a penis sword named the Ejaculator 2. Uh, but... Just just something I wanted to bring up. Are you looking this up right now? Are you trying to figure out if there is a way? Because I couldn't figure it out. I, I am. Because like I, when you look on the actual like Steam page for it, it says stuff that like it, it confuses me. It's like there is a workshop mode where you can make your things. And there is a, 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 a thing that you can upload to. But it's like I don't know how. Like. And it's weird because there was also the, the it says that there's 17 levels when there's only 11 levels in the game that I can count. Okay. That's so interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so uh how does it work? Uh when you make the weapon, uh whenever a mid-level boss is encountered, they will drop a player weapon selected at random. Okay. So anytime you fought a mid-level boss, whatever it dropped was just a random player-made weapon in the blacksmith. <laughs> I guess it just auto-uploads then. Yeah. Because, like, I literally was getting stuff that, like, I looked up in the workshop and, like, there it was. It was in the workshop. I gotta, I, I gotta see if the Ejaculator 2 is in the workshop now. I'd almost feel bad if somebody got the Ejaculator 2. Because <laughs> uh, it is just a giant penis. That's, that's what it looks like. And it says the, uh, the most upvoted ones have a, a higher chance of dropping. Interesting. Wow. So that, like, it's a really interesting mechanic, but it also kind of sucks because you can't use anything that you make. You know? There's no guaranteed I, I way, yeah. To... No, n not even a guaranteed way. Like you, you would have to roll for hours and hours and hours yeah. to get the one that you actually made. Like that, I think, kind of sucks. I wish that you could use them at least in like the challenge mode or something like that. But it is an interesting feature, and I will say that it really did spice up my single player playthrough. Just getting random, interesting, fun weapons that mm -hmm. are just like off the wall and crazy. Uh, but they only showed up kind of every once in a while and they were like only at, you know like you said after the midpoint uh usually after i die i would like show up and then there would be like a mid boss 
like that just it appears randomly in front of me uh when he wasn't there before and then he gives me the item but yeah, uh, there's also a speedrun mode for people who, who beat the game. They can uh, try their best at running through all the levels to get uh, one, top first, second, or third place times. Uh, there's like a rating system in there for how fast you go. There's also the same rating system for the 11 extra challenge missions that are in the free DLC. And they are pretty hard to get the part-time, but it, they are pretty fun as well. They're, they're neat little challenges that are uh very welcome i'll say uh but there's besides that and like the little remixed uh story mode that you unlock after you beat the main story mode uh that i imagine like it, it reworks the main stages uh and maybe some of the boss patterns as well um there's not too much to talk about here it's pretty short they're very well drawn animated cutscenes. That, that sort of set the stage very much like an NES game. Think Ninja Gaiden. You know, like the planet is in danger from demons and all parts of the globe. Or, and the only person who can save the day is a lone self-defense android pilot. <laughs> uh, I didn't beat more than one level of this, uh, but I did try a whole bunch of the different levels, and they are very different and fun. Uh, it's just pretty difficult. It, 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 you know... If you've played an NES game, you kind of know what to expect here. Uh, there, there's no options like the NES uh, games in the Switch store to like pause what's happening and rewind. You know, you, you got to just tough it out. You got to man up. If you're gonna beat it, but it does give you ways to sort of beat your head against the wall by increasing your health with all the different, uh, you know, weapon upgrades and stuff. Plus, you might get a dick weapon. You might get a dick weapon. You might get the ejaculator too. You you very well. That's a good. That's I think a good selling point. You could put that on the tin. Might get the ejaculator too during your playthrough. The results may vary. <laughs> Dying right before the end of a level can be really frustrating and demoralizing. That's just a a fact of these sort of old school type games. Mm -hmm. And there are some instant death traps sprinkled throughout the levels that make this much worse. Uh, you know, I don't love any sort of instant death mechanic personally because it sort of punishes just not noticing one thing and then you're, you have to restart the entire thing over from the beginning and that doesn't feel good. doesn't feel great to sort of get past it necessarily. It's just sort of like, oh, thank God I got past that. <laughs> that that's, that's my feeling anyway. I, I think it's, it's hard for me to get into fully for the podcast. Uh, and I do worry that some of that comes from the level design that too, relies too heavily on this sort of trial and error to learn what is there in order to sort of progress further. Uh, but, I mean, I also don't really like Mega Man, and that's the same shit. Mm -hmm. So I I think that fans of old-school throwback-style games will probably really enjoy this, and there is a lot to enjoy here because of that. Um, Fair enough. Milk me, just milk me, just, just milk, me. <laughs> just milk me, daddy. I couldn't think of a better segue. All just right, milk me, the daddy. Prince of Milk, the Milky Way Prince, is our next game. The Vampire Star. Thank you. This is a game developed by I Guys and Lorenzo Radelli. I'm probably pronouncing that oh. wrong, but uh, published by ah, uh, what happened to the publisher name here? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Published by Santa Ragioni? Ragawan? Ragoni. Ragoni. Uh, 
they did wheels of Aurelia, Photonica, and me the the Mirror Moon EP. Uh, a couple little games here. Uh, a lot of like really very stylized, mm. stylized. Uh, did, did, did you throwing pasta at the wall? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this game is nine ninety nine on the Steam Store. Uh, and it's a visual novel. You click things and make them say the things when you click them. That, that's about it. It's a visual nova. The, the genre is real straightforward. Nova. It's a vision nova. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's about, as, about as in-depth as the gameplay gets in a vision nova. We're breaking down. Uh, We're losing it. The visuals in this game I thought were fantastic, though. Uh, I really enjoyed the sort of art and the artistic expression and the style throughout it. it. It felt like it was meant to be abrasive and constantly changing and like brutal but comforting. I, I think the art, the sound, and the style all really reflected the themes of these game. This game, uh, and it's is it, all visual novels. It's all about the story, honestly. Uh, and so, like, probably spoilers here. Uh, and and this game in specific, just for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this game in specific is entirely about BPD, uh, so so much so that it gives a trigger warning at the start of the game, and since, mm. you know, in that same sense, the, in this spoiler section, we might be talking about some, like, heavy themes and stuff presented in this game, you might be sensitive to it, so, like, just a heads up, we'll probably mention, like, self-harm, abuse, BPD, things like that, so, uh, if any of those are, like, super rough for you. Skip to... One hour, 26 minutes, and 32 seconds. Also, real quick, just wanted to give a heads up, because we didn't actually mention it in the text of the podcast. BPD stands for Borderline Personality Disorder. Anyway, have fun with the rest of the milky discussion. And I want to start off by saying, like, I was kind of conflicted about their presentation in BPD in this game. Because I, I think it sort of fell into the trap of, like, uh, presenting it as as the stereotypical, like people with bpd are like monsters and demons and like they have no control over who they are and they're like shitty to other like it kind of fell into that trap even so in the visual representation um there there are very there are a few moments where they like they make the character the main character with bpd present as a demon like four arms and like messed up face and and like mere reflections of themselves and stuff all over so i i think they kind of fell into a trap there with like the presentation of it being very stereotypical but i also kind of felt like it was really deliberate um i think there was a lot of like artistic talk about it going in on in here and like the the way we view it through that lens and like the society's vision of that versus like how the character is because uh if i remember right when at the end of the game you play through as the character the primary character with bpd uh, and as you play through that character, you never see yourself that way. The only time you're seen as, like, a, a fucked up weird little demon is through the lens of other people, and so, like, I, I, I can kind of see the sort of artistic presentation of, like, that is the way society perceives it, uh, but, but face value, it could very much be taken as, like, this is just a pretty shitty portrayal of BPD. Um, so, I, I think it falls into that trap a little bit, mm. but... I I think it's still and and the metaphors fall a little bit flat. They 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 primarily focus on like the impact of BPD on others. You know the the idea of the Milky Way Prince like you're repeatedly referred to as uh, uh as a star. You know a, an unstable star. The closer you get to it, the more unstable it becomes. Things like that. 
uh, and and the vampire prince directly refers to like leeching from other people. Um, so I, I think the metaphors there are kind of uh, a, a little negative in the portrayal as well. But also, it's written as an autobiographical piece from the author's perspective of being in a relationship with someone with BPD. So I, I kind of understand why it's presented in that lens instead of in the lens of, like, someone with BPD. So I, I, mm. I think it, it hits on those topics a, a, a little rough. Um, it falls into some stereotypes, but I think the conversation it's having in general is, is really good. I think it hits on a lot of things. I, I think the two main characters kind of show a dichotomy of of BPD and the sort of like um, I, I, ideas of like self sabotage and and self harm. And one of the characters is very much like at every turn second guessing themselves and and falling apart and and blaming the other person, trying to sabotage the relationship. Uh, while the other character on on the opposite end of the spectrum is is like immediately infatuated with this person and like falling in love and obsessing over this person this person becomes their world in like a matter of knowing them for uh, you know a summer so it it shows like a really good dichotomy there between the two main characters uh but i i think it also does a really good job of showing the sort of like internalized struggle of bpd and the ideas of like the 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 constantly doubting yourself and being unsure about the world around you and like the the paranoia and the loss and the grief that like people are feeling constantly and uh, so i i think it does a really good job sort of portraying the internal dialogue and the external dialogue with with that sort of idea of of the the way it's impacting the people around you versus like also showing the way it's impacting the person themselves so mm. I, 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 as someone who, who has been, B, BPD is like a, a huge part of my life, you know, uh, and, and so I, as someone who's been around people with it, as someone who has been, you know, in, in sort of circles like that for a while, uh, and, and the way it's sort of impacted me and everything, I, I think the, the way it presents it is, is, um, th there's something kind of cathartic about the presentation of it. I I don't know what it is. I I have not spent enough time mm. <laughs> resolving how this game makes me feel playing it <laughs> to to really speak into it. You told me that like you actually had to stop playing it at one point, and you were actually five minutes away from the ending. Yeah. So the game is it's only about two hours long. Uh, and, and as, as, as I was playing it, it, it got to a point where just like the themes and the idea and the way everything's presented, it, it was just too overwhelming for me. Uh, I, I resonated too much, like too much with the stuff that was being talked about. And like, I, I had to distance myself from it, uh, come to find out five minutes before the game was over like that. <laughs> it, it was at the very end of the game that it, it just became too much for me to continue to play. Um, so I, I, I think it talks about the topics in a, in a really good way that it sort of resonates. Um, I'd have to spend more time with it to figure out why it resonates so well, but, uh, it, it, it definitely could just be that like, it portrays the impact really well. Uh, but I also feel like it, it also portrays the struggle really well as well. And, and I think, mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of, of themes and dialogue that that even if even if you don't struggle with like bpd or if you don't know anyone with bpd i i think there are a lot of themes and things that can that can be related to because like 
BPD is often used as just like a sort of catch-all diagnosis for like, we don't want to figure out what's wrong with you. So we'll just label it. it it's kind of like, I it, it's been compared to like a modern day diagnosis of hysteria because like oftentimes mm. there are underlying things that, that are causing causing the issues, but th people don't treat the underlying things because the symptoms are so bad in, in, in a sense that like, it becomes about the symptoms more than about like what's causing it. And it just gets written off as like, Oh, you're, you're, you're acting, you know, uh, unstable, so to speak. You, you have BPD, you figure it out. Cause we don't want to, um, which, which is like, yeah. a, it, it's kind of a shitty catch all right now um, in the sense. Uh, but w which means that like, I think a lot of the themes and ideas and struggles of BPD can, can also resonate really well with people who don't have it. Uh, because it's also comorbid with a bunch of things too, and, and so like symptom or symptoms and of bipolar and ADHD and PTSD and CPTSD, like all of those things and depression and anxiety, they all go into a BPD diagnosis basically. Like they 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 all show very similar symptoms and stuff, and and some of the struggles are very similar, um, broadly speaking. So I, I think if, if you struggle with it in, in other areas with mental health, like you might resonate in some areas with this game and some of the themes that are presented. So I, I, I think the game handles talking about mental health um, and, and, and some of the conversations around it, especially BPD. I, I think it handles it pretty well. Um, and I think it's, it's a really interesting portrayal and, and lens to view it through. Again, a, a very short, like two hours on a less serious note. What's up? I'm really glad that you took this one because I don't know that I would have been able to, to develop that much of an insight about it. I feel like you, you, you've you dealt with this more personally and, and that you might have a more sort of, like, you know, I said it, personal experience with mm -hmm. this sort of game. I... Uh, I, I feel like I feel like this game is a very personal experience and I think it was made for a very niche crowd. Um, I, I don't think this game is for everyone. I think everyone can learn something playing it, but also there's, as I said, the presentation and some of the themes are like, they're, they're kind of at face value and I could see them being taken poorly at face value. So it's hard to just recommend anyone play this to like mm. learn more about BPD or mental health stuff. Um, if you are going to play this game it, through that lens to sort of learn about it, then I, I definitely say, you know, do, do more research at, on the side and like yeah. kind of understand the themes and why they're being presented this way in the game. Don't just sort of take it at face value uh, because it, it it's a really shitty box that a lot of people with a BPD diagnosis get, get stuck into is that like you are just a shitty person and you, you're, you're a parasite to the people around you. And like, it, it, it's, it's a, I, I, it's a really hard thing I think for, for a lot of people. And I, I think it's kind of an unfair presentation at face value, but I think the presentation is doing a little bit more than that, but it does no good for anyone who's just playing the game to kind of dip their toes into it. I, I think it's it's a, a entry point if you want to take it more seriously and like really learn about some of these some of these issues. Again, achievements in this one are pretty easy to get to. On a totally different note, <laughs> I I almost one hundred percented this one. I just got to go through and like do the other two endings really, and that's it. Uh, it's it, pretty pretty easy to get them all there. It's like two hours long. There's three different endings. If you get all three endings, you've basically a hundred percent of the game. Like, um, very easy game. Uh, it's a visual novel. Uh, I I I enjoyed it. I I spent a lot of time 
you know, a lot of introspective time with this game and like it resonated with me really well. I don't think it will resonate with everyone, but I think the people that it will resonate with, this could be a really like a, a pretty impactful piece. I agree. I 100% agree. That's kind of it for our main set of games. The next game also are very impactful extra we have here today from Gessinimo Games, a one-man dev by the name of Salman Shuri. Uh, this is a game called Fistful of Nothing. Okay. Fistful of Nothing is uh, very interesting. It was made solely for distribution for the Humble Trove. This guy's made a couple other games, mainly for like itch uh io a couple other platforms like punch golf bun bun tap tricks sealed estate 10 milligrams uh stuff like that so what is it the basic premise is that you go to work one day and then everyone there has a gun and wants to kill you in order to escape you have to get to the elevator and run past everyone so the the whole gimmick of this game is that you know you got nothing it's a fistful of nothing. Mm -hmm. And you're still going through and sort of challenging these guys. Eventually, you get a gun, and you have no ammo in this gun. You just use it to psych people out, to intimidate guards, to take hostages, and get to the elevator, essentially. Uh, it's like a pacifist version of Hotline Miami in, sort of the, <laughs> in terms of the pace and, and how it feels and the top-down nature of it. Um. I, I think it's really interesting that they're in the story. It kind of has this like irreverent, like, why am I enjoying this? Like at first he's like, I'm in danger. Oh no. But then he's like, I like this. I'm in, I, I, I want to do more. And then it just sort of ends abruptly. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that there might've been like some sort of unreli unreliable narrator thing going on, but the game didn't really last long enough for it to develop any sort of foothold on that. Uh, it's a very light story. You can beat it within an hour. And I do have a minor complaint that there are some grammatical and spelling errors that it feels like could be easily addressed. And I don't know if that was the artist's intent or not. You elitist piece of shit. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel like a fucking <laughs> asshole for being like, um, use spell check, please. But uh... <laughs> that's the difference. I wouldn't no. have even noticed him. <laughs> <laughs> But I have to say, it is a very neat idea for a game. I think I might enjoy it more as an idea than I did in its execution. Not to say that it's a bad execution. I think that its execution is very solid. Uh, I just wish that it didn't end so abruptly. Uh, you know, it's it's not the kind of game that I would go out of my way to play, but I'm glad that I did play it. And if anyone's wanting to experiment with uh, what a pacifist game might look like. I think that this is an interesting. Mm, I wonder if we know anyone into. who might enjoy a pacifist experience. I wonder who could enjoy it. We have a friend named Pacifist. Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think this is something that might be expanded out into a bigger idea later, or is this very much like a "this is the product"? You're never getting another idea like this. Well, it seems like this guy does a lot of game jam games. Okay. Uh, like, he, he will just sort of, like, pump a game out to sort of hit a deadline, and I think that's honestly really good. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and it's a one-man dev. So probably so. something that won't be expanded on much. Yeah, probably not. I think it's probably, a, like, a, like, a pump and dump, and that's fine. Uh, you know... I, I think that <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at you using the term pump and dump to describe that. <laughs> You know, it's just like a, you work really hard for a couple of days and then you're done. Yeah, that that's what that <laughs> term means. Yep. 
<laughs> yep. That's what that term means. I'm, we're, you know, we create new terms here on the bundle bourgeoisie. We create new things all the time. Uh, it's part of our brand. Yeah. <laughs> that's about it. That That's all I have to say about that game. It's neat. It's neat. And that's it. We made it through them all. All right. What's your game of the month, baby? My game of the month for sure is Sid Meier's Civilization VI. I love Sid Meier's. Like I said, Sid Meier 5 was my very first game on Steam. So, of course, I naturally like the sequel. Not really much to say there. Yeah, absolutely. My, mine is I Can Fell. I, I liked Milky Way Prince, but I don't like media that makes me feel sad. Uh, I Can Fell for sure. It's phenomenal. It's beautiful representation. It's everything that our media should be pushing to be. It's fantastic. I Can Fell. Play it, everyone. Everyone play it. I'm so happy that I got I got you to play that one and that you like it so much. I I love it. It is it it is so far my game of the year probably. Like, damn, that's pretty fucking high praise. Go play Iconfell, which is like buck wild because it's like it's a turn based RPG first of all, and I fucking hate turn based games. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was kind of surprised that you liked it as much as you did. Uh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's amazing what uh, a story can do. Yeah, it's amazing what a good story can do to a game. What else have we been playing, though? Uh, I have only been watching Bo Burnham's Inside. That has consumed oh. my life. I don't play games anymore. That is my only media now. Well, I, you know, that's, that's okay. That's okay. I, I've been doing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Forza Horizon 4. I, weirdly, I've been on, like, a racing game binge. I'm trying to finish Lion Quest Infinity, but it's a bit of a slog. A developer sent that to us, and I really want to review it, but I want to play the whole game before I review it, and there's a lot, and it's getting to the point where it's a little tedious. Uh, Bloons TD6 uh, is a thing that I also was requested to play, as well as Victorum. Uh, those are both some interesting games, Victorum, about being like a TNT wizard. We played Among Us, For the King, Pokemon Go. I've been playing a little bit on my phone. And uh, I Have No Shame, Honey Pop 2, Double Date is an incredible game that I bought and I own. Okay, so one final little segment here that I just want to run through, hopefully pretty quickly, is some real quick E3 news. Because we are recording this in the middle of E3, and I spent too much time watching these live streams to not just say nothing about it on the podcast. So, uh, big obvious shoutouts to Elden Ring. So that ga- gameplay actually sh- came out on that. I mean, finally, we- we've seen it. Also, Halo Infinite, it exists! And th- the multiplayer is going to be free on Xbox, apparently. Uh, Forza Horizon 5, also, it- it- it ha- it- yeah, it takes place in Mexico. Uh, mm. And Guardians of the Galaxy was half of the Square Enix conference, but it looks pretty fun. That sounds about right. <laughs> uh I'm going to do a game blast of literally so many games. So these, I'm not going to stop to really give a, too much of info about each of these. I'm just going to give a little snippet of each so you can look it up more for more info if you're interested. Uh, these are games that are kind of maybe going under the radar, maybe not. Who knows? First up is The Wandering Village. It is a city builder where you build a city on top of a giant moving animal, like, like a territory. Yes. It looks dope. Uh, Sacrifice is a new RPG from the developers of Warsaw. I just want to give that a shout out because I loved Warsaw. Uh, Tinykin, it looks adorable. You have like a bunch of these like tiny little creatures following you around. It gave me Pikmin vibes. I don't know how accurate that is. Uh, Solstice is a cool new Dark Soulsy looking character action game. 
Gloom Wood, uh, very similar to retro throwback shooters like Dusk. It looks very satisfying and fun. Uh, a nice uh, first-person shooter game. Uh, Ixion, I-X-I-O-N, uh, a space city colony simulator. It is very similar to Frostpunk, it seems like, where you have like a limited sort of space to build this colony and this civilization, and you're managing it, making decisions along the way as you're trying to fare all the way through a long journey in space. Uh, Lemniscate is a turn-based combat strategy FPS where you have 25 seconds to make an action in a first-person shooter game, and then that action is saved, and then you play through that again a second time, and you keep doing that over and over again until an army of yourself and the other person is like fighting each other, and there's like chaos happening from all the different clones fighting each other. Uh, it looks really interesting. Yeah. yeah, Orcs Must Die 3. It, it, you don't have to say much else there. If you played the first Orcs Must Die, you know what that is. Tower Defense. Uh, two new high-budget Vampire the Masquerade games are coming out. Uh, Swan Song and Blood Hunt. There is a food fight-based party arena combat game called Raw Men, which I love. I lo that's a premium name. Raw that's Men. So good. Dodgeball Academia looks dope. It's a literal dodgeball RPG. Uh, there is Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster that was briefly shown and announced. It is a remaster of 1 through 6, uh, all of the original Final Fantasy games. Uh, and then also in the Final Fantasy news, there was Strangers of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, which is a character action game from Team Ninja. It looks like Devil May Cry mixed with a Souls game, but set in the Final Fantasy universe. It looks okay. pretty interesting, actually. Uh, then there's... Uh, is it Silt? A uh, atmospheric indie game, sort of in the vein of Limbo. Citizen Sleeper. You're going to want to look into this one, Guff. It is interstellar capitalist hell, the video game. Uh, Love it. Moonglow Bay is right up my alley. It's a life sim fishing game where you run a shop and do RPG things. That's everything that I love in a game. Sign me up. Norco is a sci-fi American gothic point-and-click adventure game that looks very interesting. Uh, it immerses the player in the sinking suburbs and verdant industrial swamps of Louisiana's petrochemical hinterlands. I copy-pasted that from the Steam page because I thought that was cool. Nice. Uh, the Big Con is a game where you play as a 90s teenager con artist, and it looks really cute and really funny. There also is not one, not two, but four upcoming FPS games heavily inspired by Soviet Russia, and in particular the area around Chernobyl. And shockingly, there isn't even one from the Metro franchise. Uh, there is Atomic Heart, which looks like Soviet Fallout single-player exploration RPG, uh, Chernobylite, which supposedly ha is a 3D-scanned recreation of the Exclusion Zone. It is a single-player survival RPG. Damn. Uh, yeah. Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl uh, is a sequel to the classic uh, franchise Stalker, but it looks like very modern and updated and, and uh, looks to be very interesting. And finally, uh, Pioner which has been described as an MMO version of Stalker. So 
P-I-O-N-E-R. Pioner is the actual name of it. I, and okay. then there are some beta signups for a couple of games. I'm just keeping. I'm just going. We we got Babylon's Fall, which is one of the new games from Platinum. It has an odd art style that it looks like it's a Photoshop filter. I I don't know if you know what I mean, but when you see gameplay, you'll you'll probably know what I mean. Uh, there is Phantom's Abyss that has a beta sign up uh, and like Twitch influencer thing that's going on right now that I signed up for. I hope I get it. Uh, it's for this asynchronous multiplayer thing where you get to see the ghosts of other players' attempts as they're running through this procedurally generated dungeon, and every player only gets one shot in the dungeon before it kicks you out and sends you to a new dungeon. So only one player can even beat the dungeon, too. Once one, play once one player beats a dungeon, then it closes and the next one opens, essentially. So that game looks super dope. I really want to try that. Phantom Abyss. Uh, then there are two phone games that I was kind of curious about, uh, maybe looking more into, called Near Reincarnation and Final Fantasy VII First Soldier. L looks like interesting now that I have a phone that can actually play these games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, then there was the Devolver Max Pass Plus. It, it was... A, a, Devolver is always chaotic every year at, around D3, and I love whatever they try to do. This year... Uh, they smelled blood in the water with Microsoft doing all of this Game Pass promotion, which, by the way, their Game Pass is getting pretty beefy. It's it's looking like a real premium Netflix style subscription here, with like lots. We're of good we're games about to it. launch the sub humble podcast, the Game Pass. Yeah, we podcast. are. We are going to be. Uh, it's a it's a completely free subscription service for for the podcast uh, with some premium elements. It's a new era of monetization as a service. Uh, <laughs> I'm just crimming the Devolver Max Pass Plus now. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it, it was pretty hilarious, their whole marketing thing. It, it's literally just like a newsletter and like the premium parts of the newsletter. Are you going to buy a video game? That's the, And all I really want to highlight from this, that there are some good games from it, but the main one that I want to highlight is Inscription, which is from Daniel Mullins. And it is sort of like a, what looks like a card-based action like a card-based god I... daniel mullen games are impossible to describe he made pony island in the hex and each one of those games are sort of games that defy description in in that they, they, they sort oh of inscription so much... has been on my wish list for a real hot minute yeah 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 it, they showed it at e3 and uh you know i just i want to set another reminder i guess about it because like it's just i think we might have even talked about it before it just looks so cool yeah i love daniel mullen's all of his games are, are kind of mind-bending, usually a little bit creepy and kind of fourth-wall-breaking. And, yeah, that's basically it for my highlights of E3 so far. Uh, hopefully Hell that wasn't yeah. too super long. I just wanted to give a quick breakdown of a lot of games that I was looking at that were interesting. Uh, the charity this month is the It Gets Better Project. Uh, the It Gets Better Project is a global nonprofit that reaches millions of young people each year through inspiring media programming, educational resources, international affiliates in 20 countries plus the United States, and access to an arsenal of community-based service providers. They're all focused on uh, helping LGBTQ plus youth and everything. Super good. Hell yeah. It's a good one to include Eichenfell in. Absolutely. And to circle back to representation, I can't believe I forgot to mention this. Uh, the oh. the relationship in in Milky Way Prince too. Oh yeah, man, you're so totally right. Yeah, yeah, 
good representation. I don't know that <laughs> from my... I mean, unless you count the worms as being a representation of worms. <laughs> I mean, th there was representation in Civ now as well. That that That, that is a thing. So maybe that is sort of like the that's theme fair. for this bundle, because that's a thing that we did at one point that we kind of stopped yeah. doing is themes. This, this theme is, seems to be Figuring representation out themes a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, speaking of representation, our question or themes, too. Yeah. <laughs> question for next month. I, I uh, uh, what themes do you feel are underrepresented in or that you want? <laughs> Take two. Okay. Our question for this month is, uh, what themes do you feel are underrepresented or that you want to see more of out of video games? Ooh. We'll have to ponder that, think about it, get some viewer responses, and we'll come back on yeah. that. Hell yeah. So next time. Next time on The Bundle Bourgeoisie. <laughs> paw, paw, paw. Secret neighbor. Going under. Disjointed. Desolate. Stubs the zombie in Rebel Without a Pulse. And more E3 news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did it. Thank you so much. Oh, that's another one in the books. That's a fucking hour and 50 minutes. Jesus Christ. God, if you listen to this whole thing, thank fucking Christ. Holy shit, you're the reason we were doing it. <laughs> oh, you know we're going to get it down to like an hour 20. No, I hope so. <laughs> you say that. You say that. <laughs> it's an hour 20 with a special E3 segment later this week. <laughs> no! <laughs> All right, social media plug. Yes, uh, Twitter. Join us on Twitter where we tweet once a month about releasing the podcast, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's kind of it right now. We also tweet individually uh, on our own accounts. I mainly tweet whenever I go live. That's ma mainly what it's used for. I, I sometimes will post radical uh, 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 leftist bullshit combined with, uh, you know, just dumb jokes and then mostly just when I go live once a month. Also, you sometimes tweet about Magic the Gathering rules. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do that too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and we stream on Twitch on uh, uh, Gafocker and Backstab and we have a Discord as well. Tell us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Discord, the Bundle Bourgeoisie. That's where things really pop off. That, that. If you want, if you want real, like, good discussion and chats and stuff, that's where you should go. We, 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 we are active on that. Yeah, it, we have a Steam page with a Steam curator thing too. We, we were active mm -hmm. on that. We, we, we do Steam curator things. We also have a TikTok that we're working on getting more active on. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's on my to-do list this month. So, <laughs> all right. Well, that, that's it for us. I, that's I'm it. Sweaty. I'm sticky. I. It's. Hot. I am a fucking swamp boy right now. I. Am I am just, completely just drenched. It's. It's yeah. a complete. It's a complete nasty disaster, and I have to it's go. It's so take bad. Care. So bad. Record so. highs right now in Colorado. Yeah. For the uh, next like week, basically. Basically, a toaster oven in a lot of places. So. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Drink your water, and. But not the water from your body. Yeah, um... Don't, don't drink the sweat water. Don't drink... The, yeah, the sweat... <laughs> That's the sweat water. Or your piss. About. Don't drink your piss either, David. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> damn it, damn it! Damn it, Johnny! <laughs> damn it! I thought we would get to do a podcast without a piss joke. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs>